a code red for humanity, curb emissions and dramatically reduce consumption or face a world that is fundamentally different. Changes in ice sheets, deep ocean temperature, they are irreversible and will continue for generations to come. This is the very last moment when we have in which we can actually hope to stem some of these disasters. It is unequivocal that human activities are responsible for climate change. If unprecedented changes are not made and made soon, there will be irreversible damage to the planet. Zero carbon. East tall. Hello and welcome to Zero Carbonista Series 3, The Sky's the Limit. I'm Ian Collins and this is the UK's number one green-based podcast. And here's some breaking news. I'm leaving. I've enjoyed working with Dale, but I've decided to go and work with another environmental podcast. I thought it best not to give any notice or even bother to have the decency to have a basic conversation. Bye. (laughs) Morning, Dale. (laughs) Yeah, morning, Ian. Yeah, sorry to do that to you twice in one week. Yeah, no, that's fine. <laughs> I'm over it anyway. Good. I'm over it. We had a lot of questions on that. In fact, <laughs> I mean, it might just be worth responding to Tim on Facebook. It says, how long until you get a new head coach in place? And yeah, has the dust settled, I guess? Yeah, dust has settled for me. You know, the kind of emotional dust, really, because, uh, you know, I'd put a lot of faith in uh, that guy. Uh, Rob, and, uh, you know, had fended off the media for a whole week saying, look, these are just rumors because if there was any truth in it, I know that Rob would have told me because, like, yeah. you, know, I, you know, I know him, but obviously I didn't. Um, so that dust has settled. How long will it take to get a new head coach? I think it would probably be a couple of weeks or something like that because uh, our director of football had a contingency plan because he knew this would happen one day. He's got himself a bit of a shortlist already, so we might cut straight to his shortlist rather than open the doors to, like, it was 100 applicants last time. So, um, yeah, I don't think it'll take very long. And we need to be quick, of course, because we're in uh, a very short uh, gap now between uh, the end of one season and the start of the next one. Well, as me old Nam would have said, of all places... F***ing Watford. <laughs> Font of a lot of wisdom, you old man. Oh, yeah. Very <laughs> prophetic, that woman. Uh, <laughs> let's uh, let's move to this. Environmental tipping points rapidly approaching. Now, we've talked about this many, many times. I'm always kind of curious when I see these headlines rapidly approaching because I think two years ago you were warning things were rapidly approaching. Yeah, the tipping points have been clear. You know, we've seen them coming and um, they're, they're not any more clear really now than they were a couple of years ago, you know, and, and if they happen, then they're going to make life, you know, far more difficult. You know, the prevention of uh, catastrophic climate change gets more difficult if we hit tipping points. So great to have another warning, but uh, what are the government going to do about it? Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, here's a story that kind of feeds into that. And I, you look at this and you scratch your head and you think, did I read that correctly? UK airlines have missed all their climate targets for the last 22 years, except for one. I love this one, actually. actually they also set their one. own goals as well, which is well, kind of interesting. And, and that's, uh, for me, essentially the point of the article that the airline industry can't be trusted to self-regulate on the climate because – all of the targets they've missed are their own targets. They set them, yes. uh, you know, so you'd think that they weren't too stretching if they set them, uh, but they were stretching enough that they couldn't hit them. And, uh, and that's you know, the point, isn't it? Because they, you know, that lots of people talk about self-regulation rather than sort of governmental regulation. It's always a little bit iffy and suspicious, but, you know, you can see why they would agitate for that. And then you think, well, okay, so what they've done, they've thought, well, if we let the government do this, it's going to be really tricky. So I know what we'll do. We'll play a sneaky one here. We'll have our own targets. Therefore, we can't possibly miss them. And they've missed them. 
Yeah. And also it's about deflection, isn't it? It's about saying, no, that's fine. We understand climate change, you know, is happening and we've got a role to play, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah. one, of, one of the great examples from this article that I love is that in 2010, Virgin said 10% of all their fuel would be biofuel by 2020. Then there was silence. And in 2021, they said 10% of our fuel will be biofuel by 2030. They just kicked it 10 years further down the road. So, yeah. I mean, you know, what are they doing? And, and Branson pledged three billion pounds, right, to fight the climate crisis and hasn't delivered any of it. And it's interesting, the last figures on this that we, we unearthed, 2018, air travel was responsible for 7 or 8% of the UK's greenhouse gas emissions. Now, it, you don't really have to know much about this area to know that that is extraordinarily disproportionate. That's right. And the government uh, are saying that, uh, you know, don't worry, we can carry on flying and still get to net zero by 2050. But that's nonsense. You know, it's absolute yeah. nonsense. And, you know, they're the people that want to give us a third runaway at Heathrow and all this other kind of nonsense. Um, but, you know... These people, government, the airline industry, you know, they're, they're just deflecting us with, with big targets and, and warm words about doing something. And then they get on mm. with business as usual. You know, we can't let them yeah. do that. Uh, question here from Simon on Twitter. Do you think the government might finally agree to your windfall tax? It's interesting. I was listening to Boris Johnson giving an interview with a down market speech station the other day. And he was uh, <laughs> in full, <laughs> he was in full denial mode about this. No, I don't agree with it. It's not the right thing to do. It uh, curtails investment, even though one massive oil company said this week, no, it doesn't. We'll still invest uh, despite all of that. Um, and I've got a funny feeling that there's a big old argument going on because I think Rishi Sunak probably would go for a windfall tax. It does appear that way. And the arguments the government are giving for no windfall tax, they are BS, absolutely. As you say, the oil companies are saying, no, that's not going to de uh, deter investment. In any case, we don't need investment in fossil fuels, right? And um, there was also a claim that it would affect pensioners who hold shares in BP and Shell and stuff like that. So some think tank did a study. Guess what? British pensioners own bugger all of both those companies and it would be mm. foreign investors that were here. But the point that they also miss is that these are windfall profits. They don't affect normal investment. They don't affect normal dividends. They're just something on top that the companies didn't expect and don't need to keep. So there we go. But yeah, yeah. Rishi uh, today has said, you know, he, he's keeping all options open, I think, or this week rather, he's keeping all options open. And if yeah. the companies don't invest, then we'll have a windfall tax. And, and yeah. this is just part of that false narrative. If they don't invest, you know, it's just rubbish. Why would they not invest? They have to invest regardless, surely. I mean, it's just that's a right. stupid argument. Yeah. And, and of course, I, I think we might have touched on this last week, but, you know, even Margaret Thatcher had a windfall tax, for goodness sake. So she did it twice. She did it on, I think, North Sea Oil and Energy, and then she did it on the banks as well. Yeah. Now, you know, if the archdeacon of all things capitalist can see an <laughs> argument, and she actually set out the mathematics as well, exactly as you've just said. Look, these are not, you know, they haven't got additional profits because of amazing diligence or hard work on behalf of the board or something like that. They've kind of lucked in. Mm. That's partly why this is going on. And Thatcher knew that. And so she was quite relaxed about saying, well, this is the right circumstances for a windfall tax. Yeah, you make a lot of sense there. And so did she. And that's a rare thing, I think, for me to think that about Margaret Thatcher. But the other point is, of course, that tens of millions of people are paying two or three times as much for their energy right now because of the energy crisis. And that money, a lot of it is going straight to these oil companies who are, you know, charging sometimes up to 10 times as much for the same product a year later than they did the year before for no good reason except the global commodity market put the price up. And so it makes sense to take that from where it's landed and put it back to where it came from. Charlotte on Twitter, are you still planning to be at COP27? Yeah, kind of, you know, um, to the degree that I plan 
most things, which is that I'd like to be there and I'm kind of, you know, saying I'm going to be there, but I haven't done anything about it. Yeah, if you know what I yeah. mean. But I've got a few months left, you know, a bit like uh, Boris Johnson is green pledging, really. And it sounds good, you know, yeah. I've really got a plan to get there. But um, maybe it's I'll, in Egypt, isn't it? It's in Egypt. It's a quite a long way. I was going to say, you can't, you can't walk there. I originally was thinking you know, I'd go there overland in an electric camper van. And then I thought, well, how about sailing there? You know, I've got to find a low carbon way to get there anyway. Yeah, well, there might be a way. And of course, there's camel power when you arrive there. <laughs> yeah, once you get there, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's all right, isn't it? Yeah, and the electric hovercraft doesn't have the range, right? Not yet, but that's a you know, matter of time, right? Yeah, reckon. Here's an interesting one, Dale. Uh, don't use Ukraine conflict as a reason for dropping net zero commitments. And I, I kind of sniffed this one out a few weeks ago when everything sort of first kicked off in Ukraine. You only need a big thing, event. Uh, the pandemic would be uh, one example. And this will be another example because it takes nothing for politicians to go, great, we now have a catch-all excuse for loads of shit we haven't done. And environment is clearly in that in that bracket. Yeah, and I think this came from Mark Carney. Was he uh, ex-governor of the Bank of England, now UN Climate Envoy? That's correct, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, he didn't name names, but um, clearly was pointing the finger at our old friends in the net zero scrotum group, the um, group of Tory MPs that, you know, have tried to use the Ukraine conflict actually to beat down the minimalistic green commitments that this government already has, you know, and they've talked up fracking for God's sake, yeah. coal mines in Cumbria and Wales, all kinds of nonsense, you know? Uh, but yeah, he was talking about that and it's already underway, Mark, by the way, he, he must've noticed that. Are you familiar with a guy called Lord Monckton? No, I don't think I am. Okay. No, you you, you mentioned the, the, the Tory scrotum group. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think he's on that, but I think he's one of those guys that did make a documentary on once why, uh, you know, the environment issues were all clearly cobblers and nonsense. Um, and then at the end of it, someone did a really inconvenient thing by um, showing him some facts, uh, which he never thought to look at in the first place. <laughs> All chaos ensued afterwards. Lord Monkton, look up Lord Monkton. He's a curious character. Yeah, I probably won't, okay? But thank you. Yeah, for maybe not. It, and it will scare you. This reminds me, I think it was only last week we were talking about how these uh, climate skeptic groups are funded actually by fossil fuel interests. That's right, yeah. And you look and you think, okay, is there a conflict of interest? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Quite a big one. Yeah, just a bit. Um, this was interesting. Vettel considering retiring from F1 over the climate impact. This is Sebastian Vettel, of course, champion racing driver. Um, when you hear a voice like that say, maybe this isn't a good thing to be doing, I think people have to sit up and listen. You can't argue with it, really, can you? I mean, the Formula One is uh, is a polluting sport. It's a global roadshow, isn't it? Um, yeah. And, uh, and, you know, that comes with a big impact. So, uh, yeah, fair play to him. Let's just get a final uh, kind of encapsulation then where Forest Green are on what happened in the week then, Dale, because as I said, there's been a lot in the post bag. It was clearly something, I think it's in your character to think this is a bit strange, but move on, not to dwell and all the rest of it. So all of that makes sense. But there clearly was a moment of, an unusual moment, could I say, of some, you know, some anger, would that be fair? Uh, disappointment, actually. And and that's what I said to Rob when I spoke to him, just disappointment. That's how I felt that that he'd, uh, he'd not spoken to me about it. And actually, he 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 took on board, said, yeah, he gets that, apologize, 
I said he was advised, okay, to Well, yeah, what did he say? I mean, because you, you've actually had a conversation with him. I mean, that's one step, I suppose. But what, what, how, how did he frame his kind of reasoning? Well, it was, uh, it was exactly like that. You know, I finally, for a bit of context, right, the rumors have been going around for a week. We'd just won the league, had a party, and there were these persistent rumors he was going to Watford. And we kept pushing them away, saying, look, you know, it's not happening. Watford haven't been in touch on the one hand, which is the normal way to do things. Yeah. And Rob hasn't said anything. And, you know, he's a guy we know is completely honest, blah, blah, blah. But on Tuesday, it came to a head, and I thought, right, I'm going to have to call him. And, uh, and he answered the phone, and, and he, his, within his first few words, I knew the story was true. He's like, oh, I was going to call you. It's all happened so fast, and it's also kind of like, you know, whatever. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I know what's happening now. So he told me that he was going to go to Watford, and, and I was like, well, you know, I'm just so disappointed that you didn't speak to me. What, you know, why has it been kept secret? And he said, basically, that was the advice he was given. Uh, I'm like, by who? Apparently it was Watford and his own agent. And right. like, well, yeah, but why take that advice, right? You know, that's poor judgment. Well, I mean, there's the obvious headline here. You're joining a team that had just been relegated and leaving one that's just been promoted. <laughs> so, I mean, there's that. I mean, that's not an insignificant component in this discussion. No, that's right. And, and you know, Watford are in a bit of a pickle on and off the pitch, I would Correct. say. And, you know, any club that recruits like this, uh, is uh, it is not in a good place because you know the ethics of a club or any organisation, in my view, come from the top, and this yeah. is uh, this is a bad thing. I think it's a big big risk that uh, that both are taking. Actually, Watford yeah. are, are taking on a a guy that's had one year in League Two, and and Rob is joining a club that's in a mess and has gone through nine managers in five years. So. Well, I was about to say, my mate who's a, a diehard Watford fan, my producer Ryan, um, he said, "Well, don't worry because he won't be there in three weeks." <laughs> so it's, that's a fairly good analysis. They they really have gone like a dose of salts managers go through Watford at the moment. Yeah. So it's interesting. Somebody said to me this morning, maybe that's why they've gone for a League Two manager because you know the credible Premier League types that, that could be available for the job are all looking at the at the gig and saying, nah, I'll wait for something better to come along. You know? <laughs> yeah, I think it's the one trophy Watford do own at the moment is for going through most managers. So um <laughs> Uh, this one from just a final one, Dale. Jamie uh, emailing says, any news on your green gas plans? Mm. Uh, when will your first plant be my... And then that's where the question stops. Oh, right. Cool. But anyway, I can answer it, even though it's only half a question. We're putting out... Um, <laughs> half questions are probably best, actually. Give that's me true. more scope, don't they? Just give half an answer. <laughs> I'll stop there, right? <laughs> so we're putting out a report next week, uh, which we commissioned from Imperial College London, because I figured that they've got more credibility than me, right? When they say something, it'll carry more weight than when I say something. And I've been saying there's something about green gas for like years now, like five years since we put our first report out. So we gave them everything we had and said, you know, work out uh, if what we're saying is right. Is there a national uh, possibility to power the country on green gas uh, made from grass? That that comes out next week. I can yep. give you a sneak preview. It's a good answer. And cool. we're going to break ground on our first project next week, next Friday, I think it is, at Reading, um, where we're building the first one, which will make enough nice. gas for 4,000 homes. And um we're going to try and give the whole thing a relaunch. You know, hey, guys, politicians, media, anybody that will listen, except yeah, George yeah. Monbiot, of course, because he won't listen. Uh, say, look, there's a possibility <laughs> here, you know, to, to make all the gas we need. Forget Ukraine, forget Saudi Arabia, forget struggling to fight climate change by decarbonizing how we heat our homes, because the answer's here right under our feet. 
There it is. Dale, have a crack. I hope next week's better than last week, but I'm sure it, it already feels as if it is. So there you go. Well, bear in mind, bear in mind, in the last seven days, we did win League Two. Well, I was going to say that's the big headline. You know, yeah. the, 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 the takeaway headline in the world of football is precisely that, and nothing can overshadow it. And congratulations, by the way, on that. So thank you. Uh, we'll speak next week, Dale. Yeah, looking forward to it. Cheers, Ian. Cheers. That's it for this episode. Don't forget, of course, you can follow this podcast from your podcast provider so you get each new episode automatically. Leave a review there too. Uh, you can get in touch, zerocarbonista at ecotricity.co.uk and do follow Dale on social media, which is twitter.com slash dalevince, facebook.com slash dalevince. Zero Carbon East off.